Chapter forty two of Just As I Am. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Just As I Am by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter forty two. Is he still the master of your heart? That faint cry of pain was the one expression of anguish wrung from Dulcie's wounded heart. She had heard all that sad story, even to those last words of Morton's an unholy alliance yes it was but an echo of those still more terrible words spoken on his sick-bed the daughter of the murderer and the son of the murdered she had but too well comprehended the idea that prompted that speech even though it seemed but the baseless utterance of delirium the thought of it had poisoned her life her father was suspected of a foul murder Morton, whom she deemed wisest among mankind, had come to this terrible conclusion. And then, reading back along the story of her life, she had seen how much there was in the circumstances of the last six months to give colour to such a suspicion. Her father's unreasonable opposition to Morton's suit in the first instance, his still more unreasonable cancelment of her engagement, his deepening gloom, the gulf between them which seemed widening day by day. The thought of these things had weighed heavily upon Dulcie's heart ever since that day when she had sat beside Morton's bed and had felt herself repudiated by him. And now came this painful story of the past, and the knowledge that her mother's last words had accused her father of Walter Blake's murder. Morton rose as Arthur Haldimond entered the sick-room. "'I will come and see you to-morrow, Mrs. Green,' he said. "'And if there's anything I can do for you in the meantime—' "'Oh, no, thank you, sir. I'm well taken care of. "'If I was a duchess, I couldn't be better off. "'Miss Blake and Miss Courtney are always bringing me luxuries, "'and Mr. Alderman comes to read to me sometimes and cheers me up wonderfully. "'I think there must be something comfortable in the sound of your voice, sir,' she said, "'looking at the curate with a faint smile.' "'I hope there is more comfort in what I read than in my voice, Mrs. Green, though it tickles a man's vanity to be so complimented,' answered Mr. Haldimond, in the easy tone that made him seem an old acquaintance wherever he went. Morton had called upon the curate soon after his arrival at Osthorpe, but they had seen very little of each other since, for though Mr. Haldimond was always able to find time for lawn tennis at Fairview, he was generally too busy to accept Miss Blake's invitations to afternoon tea at Tangley Manor, a fact which Tiny took to heart, as she was passionately fond of tennis, had succeeded in getting an exceptionally fine ground, and considered herself a crack player. "'We're not good enough for Mr. Haldimond,' she said. "'We smell of trade. I suppose he will go to no one who hasn't a long pedigree.' Aunt Dora defended the curate warmly. "'He is as good as gold,' she said, "'and I won't hear him made light of "'because he doesn't choose to waste the time "'which he wants for good works "'in playing at bat and ball with a chit like you.' "'No, but he's always ready for bat and ball "'with a chit like Dulcie. "'His good works go by the board when she wants him,' "'retorted Tiny. "'Mr. Haldimond and Morton shook hands "'as the latter left the room.' and then the curate seated himself by the bed and took out his book. "'As you've been chatting with Mr. Blake, I shan't let you talk,' he said pleasantly, "'for I feel sure you're tired.' 
Will you eat a little of that nice-looking jelly while I read to you? He handed her a plate of calves' foot jelly, putting the spoon into her feeble hand, and watching her as she took a few morsels, with such languid appetite as showed she ate rather to please him than herself. He was turning over the leaves of his testament, looking for a comforting chapter, when he was startled by a sound in the next room, a very audible sob. Oh, "'What is that?' he asked, putting down his book. "'Is one of the children in trouble? Not my friend Matty, I hope.' "'The children! What was it? Yes, there is someone crying!' exclaimed the invalid, lifting herself up in the bed. "'Oh, is one of them hurt, do you think?' "'Don't be frightened,' said Mr. Haldimond. "'It's nothing, I dare say. I'll see into it.' He went into the next room. Dulcie was on her knees by Matty's little bed, her face buried in the coverlet, her whole frame shaken by her sobs. Arthur Haldimond had just the presence of mind to call out to the invalid, "'All right, Mrs. Green, it's not one of the children,' and to shut the door between the two rooms and then, with his heart aching as it had seldom ached in his life, he knelt beside Dulcie and laid his hand gently on her shoulder. "'Dulcie, what has happened to distress you? Oh, for God's sake, tell me,' he said with infinite tenderness. Never before had he called her by her Christian name, but in this moment he could not for worlds have said Miss Courtney. "'Dulcie,' he repeated, "'what is amiss with you?' everything my whole life she sobbed oh, don't try to comfort me mr haldimond i'm hopelessly miserable but i will try to comfort you i will not believe that your sorrow is incurable there is no hopeless misery on this earth at our worst we have the prospect of comfort and happiness in the world to come yes but that is such a long way off answered dulcie drearily and we all want to be happy here. I suppose that's only human. But my sorrow stretches to the world beyond earth. There's no comfort for me. None. You will never make me believe that, said Arthur Haldimond firmly. Can you not trust me freely, thoroughly, as I would trust you in any trouble of mine? Think of me first as a priest, secondly as your faithful friend. What is it that makes you unhappy? Is it the breaking of your engagement to Mr. Blake? For, if it were that alone, perhaps... He faltered just a little here, looking at her with a soul-searching gaze. The interference of a disinterested friend might be useful, and your father might consent to the renewal of your betrothal. Oh, no, 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 she cried hastily. That can never be. Morton and I have made up our minds about that. We're both resigned to being parted. There are reasons why we can never marry. Then that is not your sorrow. No, she answered with a heart-breaking sigh. Thank God, ejaculated Mr. Haldimond in a low voice. I have been very sorry. I grieved very much at parting with Morton. But that pain was a dead, dull sorrow that I could bear and which would have lessened, I dare say, as the years went by. No, that is not my trouble. That grief is bearable. You mystify, you torture me, said Mr. Haldimond. I would give half my life, all my life, to comfort you. 
for god's sake trust me i am a man of the world i know how to face the difficulties and perplexities of life it must go hard with me if i cannot help you only confide in me that is impossible she answered gravely and in a tone so resolute even in its gentleness that arthur haldimand knew her decision was irrevocable why can you not tell me the nature of your sorrow because it's somebody else's sorrow as well as mine i can pour out my grief to no one but god pray forget all about it put it out of your mind you can do no good in any way and you may do great harm if you talk about my trouble talk about it dulcie what do you take me for he asked reproachfully oh i beg your pardon i forgot that with you all secrets are safe it is a part of your office to be trusted in the hour of trouble she had risen from her knees and dried her tears and was standing quietly by the window pale and grave and with a womanly dignity in her face and manner that claimed his respect as much as her grief claimed his pity he went across to her and took her hand and stood beside her looking down at the fair girlish face made womanly by a great sorrow dulcie my heart always yearns to a creature in trouble he said if it were only one of the dumb things in the fields but to see you sorrowful to see you bowed down by a grief that i must not know and cannot comfort that is too bitter dulcie my delight my love do you not understand that your griefs are more to me than all other sorrow in the world that you are dearer to me than anything upon this earth from the happy sabbath when i first saw your sweet sad face with its pathetic pain i have been learning to love you i think i loved you at the first that my heart leapt into life at the sight of your face kindling with a fire it had never felt before dulcie tell me is it hopeless for me have you any remnant of love left for me were it but the least and faintest spark of that holy fire i would be content knowing that i could cherish and warm it into a flame she stood before him with downcast eyes letting him tell his story a delicate bloom crept into her pallid cheeks as she listened a faint smile curved the faintly tinted lips at last she lifted her eyelids and looked at him with sad serious eyes you've been very good to me she murmured pray believe that i am grateful and that i honour and esteem you i'm proud to think that you care for me and i shall carry the memory of your words to my grave yes i shall always remember you as one of the best and truest friends heaven has given me but you must never again talk to me of love you must think of me as if i were a roman catholic and had taken the veil i shall never marry the same reason that forbids my marriage with morton would prevent my marrying any one else and if there had not been this obstacle if you were free to engage yourself even then i could have no heart to give she answered think what a little while ago i was engaged to morton but is he still as dear to you as when that engagement was broken asked mr haldimand is he still the master of your heart a vivid blush dyed dulcie's cheeks and brow she turned her head hastily away the hand which arthur haldimand was holding trembled in his and she drew it from his gentle clasp 
"'You have no right to ask such questions,' she said, drawing herself up a little. "'I have told you the truth. I shall never marry. I shall take care of my dear father and be his faithful companion as long as he lives. And then, if I lose him, I suppose God will take care of me.' All her calmness deserted her in a moment, and tears streamed from her eyes. "'Good-bye,' she said, hurrying to the door. "'Oh, don't follow me, please. Don't. I'm better by myself.' Arthur Haldimond reluctantly obeyed her. "'I see light,' he said to himself. "'Whatever her sorrow is, it is her father's trouble rather than hers. It shall be my task to fathom the mystery and to cure the evil.' He left the cottage half an hour later, proud and hopeful, for that sudden glow of colour in Dulcie's face, the fair head turned shyly from him, had told him that her heart secretly acknowledged a new master, that Morton was no longer without a rival in her love. End of chapter 42